Welcome, everybody, to the Joe Random Sports Podcast, the famous name from MLB The Show Career Mode started a group of fantasy leagues years ago. And today, we gather with longtime Joe Random, Stephen Thayer, and Matt Ramirez to talk all things sports, whether the Joe Randoms. We hope you enjoy. And remember, just keep swishing and don't strike out. All right, welcome everybody to the Joe Random Sports Podcast. Steven Stair and Matt Ramirez. Man, Matt, I almost forgot the intro. I'm, I'm happy to be back. It's it's been a while. How's it going? Been too long. Yeah, it's uh, things are good. Um, it's good keeping up with everyone in the group chat these days. It's nice uh, nice that we have that now instead of random postings by Eric E on the uh, the league manager pages. <laughs> yeah it's been a good good chat this year i'm happy everybody's involved and i think it's it's good in these days when we all can't really get together so uh, very happy about that matt uh congratulations you got a new job want to tell the yes. tell the league uh, what's going on yeah thanks so kind of yeah like what i uh sent out in the, in the group chat but i'm um, gonna be going over to siemens here at the mid-august or so so i have a couple weeks off living the uh the retired life for a couple weeks and uh figuring out how to pass the time and uh do chores around the house and all that fun stuff so i think you've had a pretty decent time passing the time uh you've been playing a lot of golf lately uh so tell us about your most recent round and uh what you've been up to with this league you've been playing in yeah yeah so uh when I realized that I was going to have a few weeks off, um, decided to sign up for the Oregon uh, Stroke Play Tournament. So it's kind of a statewide tournament. Um, have to be, a, I think it's a three handicapper below to enter. So a lot of the college kids are doing it for the summer or high school kids for the college recruiting stuff. Um, and then you get probably 20 or so people like me who are just trying to get as good as they can at golf. And then um, so yeah, I've been, been playing a decent amount recently, practicing a lot. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, next weekend. So the fifth, sixth, seventh of August, if I make the cut after first two days, obviously play the third day. Um, yeah, I've been kind of a, a psychopath with practicing and playing recently and recent round was good. Um, two really bad three putts cost me going under par. Um, still haven't done it. I've shot even, I think three or four times now and haven't broken the, the par mark, but, um, trending in the right direction for sure. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, every time you post your score in the group chat, everybody's like, Whoa, what the, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah, I gotta, I gotta put a bad number up for you guys. One of these times <laughs> you're going to see an 80 one of these days and probably sucks for you, but well, I'm like, damn, I'd take an 80. <laughs> um, I'm sure if you hit a 73 again in this tournament, you'll be all right. Yeah, yeah I think 75, 75 would probably make the cut. Um, and that's that's the biggest goal. And then kind of readjust from there if I make it, you know. Awesome. That's good news. Uh, my goal this offseason is to break 100. And Rich and I had a good time the the last week in like yeah. Tahoe. Tell us about that. Give us a brief it was, synopsis. Oh man, just beautiful time. I mean, it was like eighty degrees. You're you're playing in the backdrop of the mountains, and I didn't realize this till a few holes in, probably halfway through. Really, I mean, the elevation is five six thousand feet, 
And so I was kind of wondering why some of my balls were going a little bit further than usual. Like, how did I airmail the green? I, I thought this would go like 180 and it's going 200 or, or something. So that was kind of cool. There were a lot of positives. I, I think my short game was very successful. I was happy about that because I have struggled with chipping lately. Uh, putting was very solid. I continue to average about 2.3 putts a hole. So I'll take that. It's not bad at all. Yeah. 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 A couple one putts here and there and uh, getting more consistent with the drives. I told you that it's kind of this thing where I'll pull my irons and, and slice with my driver. And I, I did watch a couple videos, so I'm excited to try out some new tactics next time I get out on the range. Uh, yeah. Rich, Rich and I had a good time. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. And we were playing with two old ladies and just watching the two old ladies play was amazing. I mean, they're, they're just so consistent. They make it look so easy. And we're like, damn. And we felt bad because we're holding up everybody, <laughs> you know? Uh, but yeah. All right. Enough of the small talk. Um, there's a lot of sports stuff to discuss. I mean, since our last podcast, the Warriors won the championship. Let's freaking go. I'm still pumped off of that. Um, NBA free agency happened. Baseball is in full swing, no pun intended. Uh, football mini camp is starting. Live golf is taking off. The Pac-12 is going kaput. I mean, there's so much to dive in. So we just chose a few topics to kind of get into and, and have some fun with. Uh, but first things first, big news coming out of uh, San Francisco. So Shanahan comes out and basically says, we thank Jimmy. We appreciate Jimmy. We love him. But tr this is Trey Lance's team. And I think everybody is kind of shocked on, whoa, you can start with that, Matt. What's your initial reaction to Trey Lance? Well, I, I think it's promising because I don't think this news comes out unless Trey looks good in mini camp and comes out the first couple of days of training camp and looks good. Um, it's questioning like the the brian windhorse what's going on in san francisco meme like i don't understand why there's no trade market for jimmy like baker had been traded the steelers were gonna roll with mitch trubisky for a little bit the saints have Jameis. like there's there's teams that could definitely use him and i'm not sure if it's because of the shoulder um, but now that he's cleared it seems like a trade market might reopen but i don't really see a spot for him besides Seattle and I don't see Seattle giving up a pick to trade trade for him so um a lot of I'm I'm just worried that they're gonna have to cut him um which I guess would open up cap space but they don't get anything back for him so um I'm excited cautiously excited for the Trey Lance era I sent you that video of him rolling out of the pocket to his left throwing a dart across his body in between the linebacker and safety um so it, like, like we were texting back and forth, I think the, the biggest thing for Trey is to start to learn the, the offense and fully grasp it, make his reads, get the ball out on time, and make the simple plays and let his athleticism take over. Um, last year, obviously, we, we both weren't impressed by him throwing the ball. So I'm excited to hopefully see some of those strides and uh, maybe this Niners team can reach their ceiling. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. The, that was the initial thought I had was, wow, if Shanahan's committing to him this early, 
that means he must have totally impressed them day one of minicamp. And then you came back with that video. And let's not, let's not get too in over our heads. You know, we see these types of videos all the time. Clearly, he's got a lot of potential. But like you said, what Jimmy was really good at was those fundamental, like split the, the defenders, get, out of the, get, your, get it out of your hands quick, step up in the pocket. Um, hopefully, Trey can do that. Then you're Jimmy plus athleticism. Um, and, and that's yeah, no, exactly. no, no knock on Jimmy as, as fish tells me, he loves, I love him. Like he's my family member, um, you know, but, uh, it does get me a little bit excited. I was definitely down on Trey when we drafted him. I was thinking up oh, James Wiseman, <laughs> not, yeah. to, I mean, that's a different discussion, but, um, I'm excited for Trey Lance now. I, I just am curious what he's going to do, what we're going to see. That's really all I'm looking forward to. And I think the Niners kind of blew their leverage a little bit. You know, it's they were thinking uh, initially, well, if we get a second-round pick, that'd be great. And then I think they got a little cocky and were like, no, we want a first, which they had every right to ask for. But now you're taking on a big salary, coming off a of shoulder surgery. You don't know how good he is. At this point, he's kind of an unknown. Nobody wants to take on that risk. So I think teams would take Jimmy, like your Pittsburgh or your Saints, but nobody wants to eat that salary. So if the Niners yeah. are going to trade him, I mean, you're looking at a Baker Mayfield-type trade, like a fifth rounder. I mean, if, if that, the sixth, I mean, which is pointless at this, at this stage. And so, I mean. Well, it, hey, the Niners do draft well late. So honestly, a fourth, fifth, sixth-round pick isn't the worst yeah. thing to have. Yeah, <laughs> we're, that's where we, we make our money. But yeah, there'll be a lot more football talk as we get closer into the season. We just wanted to highlight the, the mini camp excitement. I think the Niners have a really good roster. Um, so I'm just excited to see how this preseason unfolds. Yeah, last thing I'll say on it, I think the you're saying like they kind of fumbled it a little bit with his trade market. And I, I think the same thing too, but I also understand them being cautious because if Trey doesn't make strides over this offseason, they needed to have a at least a solid quarterback to give them a chance in the playoffs. So um, I understand it. It would have been nice for them to trade him, but if they trade him and Trey shows up this um, – this mini camp and looks like crap, then they're in a really bad situation. So I'd rather them just have to cut him than, um, or even, I mean, if they have the cap space, use, keep him as a backup because you never know. But um, yeah, it, it would just be an awkward locker room if Jimmy stays around. That was what I was going to say is, I mean, is there any shot of him being your backup, which would be a very expensive backup, but could cause some, locker room dysfunction at the same time. I don't think Jimmy's an issue in that regard. I think he would do that, but at the same time, he doesn't need to do that. I think he has every right to request a release. If, if that's going to be the case, they can't find a trading partner for him. So, yeah. Okay. Um, we are knee deep in the baseball season. There are trade deadlines coming up in just a few days. So, there, there will be some stuff to discuss maybe in our next podcast episode, but uh, there have been some trades so far. Um, to highlight some of those trades, if, if you guys have been keeping up, um, I will go through some of these smaller market deals. Um, Carlos Santana went from the Mar went from the Royals to the Mariners, and there's a good the, pickup. 
Yeah, these are pretty much all minor league trade deals, so we don't need to really highlight anybody that they've been traded for. Uh, the Mets got uh, Eric's buddy Daniel Vogelbach from the Pirates. Uh, the Mets also got Michael Perez from the Pirates. The Red Sox got Abraham Almonte from the Brewers, been around six years. Um, and then, of course, last night, Yankees getting Andrew Benintendi from the Royals, probably being the biggest acquisition so far. There's still a lot of fish to, to fish for or fish in the sea <laughs> or, or balls fish to, to fry. Fish to fry, I missed it, yeah. Fish to fry, balls to drop um, <laughs> in, in these next few days. Um, so uh, go ahead, and, and if you want to open it up on Juan Soto, or uh, what's, your, what's your take so far on things? My take so far, um, if you can get a guy and have a couple years of club control, my whole thing on this Juan Soto deal is F the prospects. Like, who cares? Like how many, if you look back at, let's say the Miguel Cabrera trade, the Marlins got four of their top six prospects and none of them worked out. Like what are the odds a player? So Juan Soto's on the path of being an all-time great hitter, obviously defensively doesn't compare quite to guys like Trout or the, the all around player guys. But in terms of offense, he's going to be a, probably a top five hitter in the game for the next eight to 10 years. So for me, I'm give, if I'm, let's say, a team like the Giants, I'm giving up just about everything for him. I would give up any prospect and a big leaguer for him. If I was the Yankees, that package of Glaber Torres plus four out of their top ten prospects, I would do in a heartbeat. Um, I just I don't understand with a guy with two years of club control and a player option left at age, what, 24? I don't understand why it's even a question – to go get him and then just offer him a boatload of cash. I, I mean, if you're a team like the Giants, Yankees, uh, Red Sox aren't really buyers right now, but this teams with the deep pockets, like send it. That's, that's my thoughts. Send it. Um, yeah. Uh, so on the flip, if I'm the Nationals, why do I want to trade him? You know, because you have him. Yeah, you shouldn't trade him, right? I mean, this isn't the NBA or the NFL where guys just hold out and are not going to play. That doesn't happen in major league baseball, at least right now, you know, they have Soto for till the end of 2024 mm -hmm. and he's not just going to sit for two years until they trade him. And it's like you said, there's probably maybe 10%, 20%. I saw a metric on it recently. I can't remember the exact number of these prospects that get moved at the deadline that actually make it to the bigs and make an impact, right? And there's very, and that's just like an yeah. average MLB player. Think about a guy like Soto where he's on, they're saying like all the stats through age 24 season, he's with like Mickey Mantle, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, like Barry Bonds. He's on that level oh, yeah. of offensive talent. Yeah. I mean, I just, the recent memory, I go back to, uh, the Dodgers shipping Willie Calhoun to the Rangers in the U Darvish trade at the deadline. And Willie Calhoun is a, an average big leaguer, right? I mean, yeah. that's why if I'm the Nationals, I don't have any intention to trade him because look, look at this. I understand you get more value if you trade him with more team control left, right? I understand you can get more, but shoot, if I'm the Nationals, 
I could still trade him at the 2024 deadline and still not get enough, right? Like I could still ask for the best prospects from any team, you know, it's, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not going to matter that much. It, it, it will. Like, I mean, instead of getting four top 10 prospects, they'd probably get two and a top 25 prospect, you know, like I understand why they're trading him because Soto's made it pretty clear. He's not going to resign. Um, but I don't think he doesn't resign. I, I feel like with the contracts, the nationals have been willing to offer. I feel like they have deep enough pockets to do like a, the four year, whatever, 50 million per year that he wanted, like the shorter deal. Like if, if this, it'd be interesting to know, like if Soto would have been as upset if the nationals didn't make it, that he was open to trading, um, you know, like if he would still resign, if they were able to keep him from the get go, instead of like announcing to everyone that they're shipping him or shopping him. But it's a, I just don't understand why you would even think about trading a guy like that. But if you're going to do it now, is probably the best time. We've seen guys get, get traded, you know, Verlander, Granky, Machado, Darvish, going back to Manny Ramirez. You know, I, I'm just thinking yeah. of these, these big guys over the deadline in recent years. And it just seems like these prospects never turn the value that these big names actually give their teams. And, and um, if, if I'm the Nationals, I, I, I don't think you can get enough for him. And so he would probably be the biggest trade ever if it does get executed at this deadline or next deadline. Um, and then, you know, it sets a precedent for Otani, right? Because now you have a top 10 hitter in the game and a top 10 pitcher in the game. <laughs> I mean, how can you, you trade? A, a, yeah. A whole farm system. Okay. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a weird situation right now, but if in Soto's case, like if he's not going to resign, I can, see why you'd want to trade him. But instead of trying to get prospects, I'd be trying to get another young talent, you know? Yeah. If you could, if you could, I mean, I'm not sure off the top of my head, you know, who, who might be in that conversation. Um, I know the, the giants, you know, it would have to be like a, like a Kyle Harrison, Mark uh, Luciano. Um, they probably have to get both of those guys up. Yeah. Give them both up. You never know what they're going to turn out to be. Like the, these number one pro- prospects, like even like Buxton and Franco and the ones that have hit quote unquote hit, they're not on Soto's level. So no. Um, yeah, and then you get into guys like Jerks and Profar and those guys that are either just yeah. average big leaguers or Mark Pell that never really make it. And I don't know. It's tough, tough for me to justify holding on to prospects. Yeah. I wonder what the nationals are asking for and who they are calling. Um, I saw I saw the Yankees' supposed recent proposal is Glaber and uh, that Jason Dominguez, their number two prospect, their number one prospect, and their number five prospect. So mm. that's a haul, but for a guy like – I mean, Soto in that lineup, if they got him instead of Benintendi, imagine, imagine what that lineup looks like. I also wonder, too, is this would be a good question to ask GMs. But it's like in these types of trades, you know, do you get, do you go for top prospects that are in AAA, like almost big league ready? Or do you go for the guys that are in like kind of high A or low A, you know, that have the, the prospect pedigree? I mean, that's, you know, because they have theoretically have more potential, but they take longer to get. I, I don't know. 
I would just be going, if I was the Nationals, I'd be going for whoever the best players I can get, no matter what what uh, level yeah. they're at right now. But easier said than done. That's why those guys get paid a lot of money. Okay. All right. And we'll fired see. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see what happens in the, these next few days. Now, the rest of the season, uh, it's kind of had a few. I mean, the Yankees have been the highlight, that you know, best record in the American League. They're the best offense in the American League. Um, the Dodgers right now have the best record in baseball. Uh, but what are some of your takes on postseason pushes here? I've said it since day one. I think the Dodgers are far and away the best team in the league. They have arguably the, one of the best lineups of all time, in my opinion, top to bottom. Um, if I, what's, what's Walker Bueller's status? How long is he out for? Well, it can't be much longer. I mean, it's got to be a, hopefully a few weeks for them. Yeah. If, if they get a healthy Bueller back for the playoffs, if Kershaw stays healthy, if Urias stays healthy, and with that bullpen that they have, I don't see the Dodgers not coming out of the NL. So that's, that's my NL pick. Um, pretty basic one there. But um, with how it stands now in the AL, I really like the Astros. Um, I really like as much as that pains to say, see another Astros Dodgers world series. But, um, I, I think Jordan is probably the, the best hitter hitter in the AL right now. Um, not named Aaron judge. And, um, from an overall team team standpoint, they have a really deep lineup. They put the ball in play, which is really big in the postseason. Um, and then that, that rotation and bullpen is just dominant. I agree. I just looked it up. Uh, Bueller projected September return, so maybe not as soon as, as we thought, but it yeah. could, it could yeah. be a, a bullpen thing for the playoffs for him, potentially. Yeah, I mean, if he's in like that Lincecum role, and I think it was 2012 or yeah, 12, they used him kind of out of the bullpen as that two or three inning guy, that could work really well. I mean, Dodgers are so deep at pretty much every level, and going back to it, Getting Scherzer and Trey Turner ended up being a hell of a deal for the for the Dodgers with how good those guys Scherzer was uh, last year, and then how good Turner's been. Yeah, that's another big name that we didn't mention was the Trey Turner acquisition. Uh, again, team control. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get another year of him too, and then you got a fan. Yeah, they, they'll need to keep Kershaw healthy for sure. Um, the Giants have quietly fallen off here, um, losing seven in a row. I know a lot of our listenership are Giants fans. Um, it's a tough one to swallow, and I, I don't think that they anticipated losing Posey to really have this many ramifications. But to me, this is the one thing that I can point to. You know, I know pitching hasn't been as good, offense hasn't been as good, but really, I if Posey was there, I feel like they're still ten games above five hundred. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I said at the beginning of the year, I thought they were, what, an 85-win 80, team, I think I said. Um, and then I don't know if they're going to get there. I think they'd be lucky to break 500 during kind of a no-win situation at the trade deadline where they really probably should be trading Jock, but you never know if they get hot here in August, September. They might be able to make a run, so they're not really buyers either. Um, I think bust, losing Buster is huge. It sucks that Joey Bart isn't looking like the player that everyone kind of thought he was going to be. Um, and also on the, the, a deeper analytical level, I think it hurts guys 
pretty much every guy on the roster is platooned at some level or another. And to not have a set lineup or at least like a, a lefties, uh, like if a le- they want to face lefties on lefties or righties on righties, literally almost every guy is platooned. Even Belt kind of had his little mini meltdown the other day. And um, it's just, it's tough to get from a player's perspective. It's tough to get into a rhythm when you know you're only, going to be facing lefties are only going to be facing righties Mm, interesting yeah um now other teams in the league uh the cardinals have been a team that has come up in terms of making trade deadline pushes um they're just just five games above 500 but this is a typical nl central where it's pretty much the brewers and cardinals and they're kind of barely above 500 uh, but the Cardinals are always a team you have to watch out for come October. And they're pretty much, I mean, I would, I would say they're looking at a wild card position right now. Um, you know, it's assuming the Brewers maintain their position up top, but what do you got on them? Cardinals look good. I mean, it's pretty much what you just said. Like they have with the Goldschmidt Arenado combination in the middle of their lineup, they're going to be relevant as long as those guys stay healthy and productive. Um, the back end of their bullpens actually turned out to be really good. Um, I think they have six guys that throw a hundred, which is pretty incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they need another, they really don't, I mean, Wainwright, I guess, but he hasn't been quite as good as last year, but they need a, a, a solid starter to make any sort of move, but they're in a position where they're trying to figure out if it's worth it to go all in for a run this year and then lose this, lose either Montas or Castillo in the off season. So I don't really see much coming out of the NL central. I mean, the, the Brewers obviously have a really good bullpen as well, but it's just not quite there with some of the other NL teams. And then if moving to the NL East, you know, it looks like the Mets and the Braves are going to duke it out, uh, which I'm excited for. You know, it looks like the Mets were kind of running away with it at the, in the early goings, but the, the Braves have maintained their consistency from last year. They look really strong. So that'll be fun to watch. You mentioned Luis Castillo. I know that's another guy that the Yankees potentially might be looking to add. It, it, it seems like the Yankees are going to be in the market for a starting pitcher here, a marquee guy. Yeah, I mean, if the Yankees get Castillo or Montas, I think that shifts my prediction um, in the AL. When you're roll, like Montgomery, Cortez, obviously have been solid number twos to Cole, but if you shift both of those guys down to three and four and you throw in a Castillo or Montas into that, maybe pick up a bullpen arm late in the season um, to replace your, your buddy King. I think it's King, right? Who got hurt? Michael King. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's, yeah that's really that one tough. hurts a lot um, for the for the back end of that bullpen with Chapman still struggling. So, um it's cool to see like Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, these big market teams be relevant because people actually talk about baseball a little bit more. So um, I'm excited for this playoffs. And I, even with the Giants being, obviously I was excited for the Giants last year, but this year I'm more excited for the overall landscape of baseball. I try to get some excitement back into it. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm a little bit shocked uh, with the White Sox. Um, I thought they would be kind of running away with the division at this point, but uh, lo and behold, the Twins, very consistent team. I, I had them as kind of a dark horse early on in the season. Yeah, you did. Um, and they, they're they uh, in first by ha- game and a half. So the AL Central looking like the NL Central right now, uh, just kind of 
a cluster of teams. And then, uh, shoot, AL East has been unbelievable. If Nathan and Davis are, are listening on their drive up, I know Davis predicted the Orioles to be really good this year, kind of out of nowhere. And yeah, they're, they're pretty good. <laughs> I, I will say that. Yeah, uh, ever since ever since they called up Adley, he's kind of had like the, you know, the buster effect of a good solid catcher, not necessarily um, the on paper effect, but it seems like the control of the pitching staff and the locker room really has uh, rallied around him. And it's cool to see the Orioles, the teams that have been so bad for so long, like the Astros a few years back, and obviously the scandal changed things, but to see those types of teams be good again is cool to see that cycle actually work. Yeah. Obviously the, the Rays are really good. Um, Toronto is probably doing what we predicted with that kind of lineup. And, um, you know, Boston, yeah, like you said, they don't, I don't know if they're buyers, but they're still right around 500. So kind of right where the giants are at. Uh, yeah, that, that American league, uh, wildcard race is definitely going to get interesting. I was also reading somewhere that the Astros are so deep in starting pitching that they could be willing to trade one of their arms, potentially Oda Rizzi or maybe Urquidy would be more attractive to some teams yeah. um, to get more hitting bullpen or just something. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think they could use one more bat, especially with Brantley being down, but isn't it, I feel like the last three years, the Astros have had like a long reliever. That would be like a third or fourth starter for pretty much any other team. Yeah. They've, they've done a good job building up that staff. Uh, so they're going to be nasty. It's, if I have to make a, a playoff prediction right now, I go Dodgers Mets NLCS and then Astros Yankees ALCS, which I know that's that's kind of like free picking. It's that's kind of basic, but those four teams are far and above away the rest of the league right now, at least. I think um, that's fair. If the ground comes back, the Mets are freaking dangerous. We'll see. I, I know I I talked about it, uh, but they've, they've had issues in August before. Um, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see if, if the Mets keep it up. Uh, as of right now, uh, they're just as good on the road as they are at home. I really I don't see see any decline yet, but um, so good good for them, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, real quick, I guess last thing, shout out for all you Yankee fans out, out there listening. I think shout out to the season Aaron Judge is having. What he's doing is incredible considering um, the expectation, him betting on himself with the, the free agency thing. It's, it's pretty cool to watch that guy play baseball. Yeah, he's like a superhero out there, it seems like. The way he's crushing the ball right now. Yeah. All right, so this whole conversation started with Matt and I discussing – Fast food. I was uh, I was talking about how good Wendy's is, how underrated Wendy's is. It doesn't get the credit that it deserves. The the spicy chicken, whether you get it in a sandwich or you get it in the nugget form, the frosty, which by the way, if you haven't tried it yet, the strawberry frosty is incredible. Uh, the fries are super good. I mean, you know, maybe not McDonald's fries, but but they're really solid. They're different. Uh, so we were talking about how underrated some some fast food spots were and it bled into uh talking that we wanted to talk about our favorite underrated players of maybe the last 20 years or or something like that so uh, before we get into those players 
I want to talk about sandwiches for a second because I just had Jersey Mike's for the first time. Really? And yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it until I walked in there. But what I realized was I just had a newfound appreciation for Subway. (laughs) Um, Wow. So, and, and what I mean by that is this, first of all, I understand it's like a New Jersey style or what they say is sub above, right? Uh, (laughs) They don't give you that many options to put on your sandwich. You know, it's pretty much tomatoes, pickles, lettuce, banana, pepper, onions, or, I mean, there's not a whole lot. Subway has got the whole kitchen sink of things you can put on your sandwich and sauces. And uh, I, and then the service. And what I realized was that, Subways everywhere you go have pretty premier service. Like they, they're taught how to do everything the same way. It's very crisp. It's efficient. You don't have to wait in long line a long time. I mean, and it's usually only like two or three people working. I mean, this Jersey Mike's had like five or six people working and they were struggling to get through just like a short line of people. And they're not, they don't even have to toast the bread they, they're not even they're not even doing that and you only have three bread options um which by the way the rosemary parmesan is pretty good i'll give it credit for that it's on par with the italian herbs and cheese from subway my, my sub uh, bread of choice um but and then the value right the the value is you get a regular quote-unquote for 950 and the regular is like a basically a six incher uh, and yeah, all they, I, think, I think it's like eight is what they listed at yeah it's a little generous i mean i know that they they put a good amount of turkey in there which i appreciate i got the I'm turkey a, yeah okay yeah turkey provolone guy um, or pepper yep, jack that's, but that's what i would go with yeah yeah so you know at least they, they gave you enough meat in there but i can get that same sandwich and probably a little bit more you know if we get the, the foot long right plus a bag of chips, you know, maybe a drink and I'm still under 10 bucks. So I think value wise, it was lacking for me. I think service wise, it was lacking for me. Taste was fine. I think it was pretty mediocre overall. The bread was good. Um, but did I did you get all of the, uh, olive oil and Mike's way and all that stuff that they put on there. No, I didn't get, I didn't get the olive oil. That's good. If you do it Mike's way, they put it with like olive oil like some sort of vinaigrette salt and pepper interesting and it for me it makes it way too uh juicy and kind of gross that, that's that's my issues i've done i've tried that at subway before with the olive oil and it just it doesn't do it for me you're better off with the chipotle uh that's that's my favorite sauce chipotle so, mayo or whatever they give you yeah so i don't well, know out of out of which one which sandwich places are you ranking so we know that Ike's is the best and, and that's, yep. that's only a West, like really only yeah, a California let's get rid thing. Of Ike's, Ike's and Mr. You know? Pickles. And I didn't, I didn't actually know that. I thought Mr. Pickles was a little bit more widespread than Ike's, but Mr. Pickles is really good too. Um, I think Jimmy John's is disgusting. Uh, they, they, the whole freaky fast, freaky fresh, like there's the bread to, to content ratio is, is way too high. There's not enough content in the sandwich. Uh, it, to me, it felt packaged. It felt like I was eating like a plastic wrapped Safeway $5 sandwich. Um, yep. And the bread wasn't good. It wasn't, didn't feel fresh at all. 
Um, I don't care how fast it is. It just, just wasn't there for me. Um, so Jimmy Johns is at the, is at the bottom. Um, and then, you know, there isn't really a whole lot of Quiznos around. Um, let's, let's not get too high on Quiznos that they're, they were probably good for everybody one time in their life, but there's a reason they're not around anymore. <laughs> yeah. That, that Crow Canyon Quiznos was just, Oh the yeah. Most o- okay. Sandwich of all time. <laughs> um, and then, uh, firehouse subs. Oh, firehouse. Yes. Yep. Firehouse subs is pretty quality. Um, they, they do a good job. They, I like how they give you option more They have a three. I know Jersey Mike's has three options, but I think, Firehouse is like an eight, at twelve, or they give you more options for your sandwich. Um, it's a little bit more expensive, but the quality's yep. the quality's pretty good. You have the option of the chocolate chip cookie, which is uh, I know a lot of places have that, but uh, I like it with Firehouse. Um, is it a good cookie? Eh, actually, it's average. Uh, Mr. Pickles, okay. Mr. Pickles cookie is by far away the best. Have you had Jimmy John's cookie? No chance. That is the best cookie of all time. Really? The sandwich. I would agree with you on everything is, you said is about it, the sandwich. Is it fresh? Is it fresh? No, it comes out of a bag. Oh, um, oh forget it. But, <laughs> but the amount of – you can go oatmeal or chocolate chip. Both are elite, in my opinion. And moist, um, <laughs> a perfect chocolate chip to dough re- uh, ratio or oatmeal to raisin ratio. Um, but – Sandwich wise for Jimmy John's, if we're strictly going off sandwiches, Jimmy John's is a lettuce sandwich with a side of turkey. Absolutely. I respect Josh's opinions uh, with his I don't, ratings. I don't. I don't. <laughs> but some of the things that he has is I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> I can't believe people think Jimmy John's is better than Subway. I mean, it's it's, yeah, a, tr- it's a trusty standard. Um, okay. So, so give give me Give me your top five or top four because we're getting rid of Quiznos. Jimmy John's is four. Jersey In terms Mike. of just sandwich, right? Yeah, just sandwich? yeah. Jersey Mike's three, Firehouse two, Subway one. Wow. Okay. I would go. But, but I, I will say this, though. If I'm on the road, because you can find Subways pretty much anywhere, you can't mm-hmm. find Firehouse subs everywhere. Um, yeah. So if I'm on the road and I see a subway and a firehouse, I'll actually probably try the firehouse just to mix it up a little bit. Um, there's also a really good place called the sandwich spot. I don't know if that's around a lot of places. Never, never heard of it. I've, I saw it in Sacramento. If scoops ever listens, uh, it's a good spot. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I, I, th- I think I'm mostly in agreement. I think I just, I have a hard time putting subway as a national chain. at my number one, I would go my, the in-house dining and waiting experience with Jersey Mike's has been good. Um, I would do Jersey Mike's one. I would do Subway two in terms of just sandwich. I would do, I would do firehouse three, Jimmy John's four. Jimmy John's sandwich is just not, not great. It does a job. Um, If you include the app and how easy it is to order and pick up and as well as the cookies, I'm putting Jimmy John's at, two or three but if you're just talking sandwich it's just not great like i told you i think twice now i've had it and it's made me throw up like two hours later so oh. um it's just it's it's not great um i will say this about jersey mike's though the amount of meat that they give you in their little eight incher is is quite the nice part of it 
Yes, um, I'll give them that. You, yeah, and then you throw in some some of their seasonings that they use. Uh, I always ask for Mike's way without the um, oils so that it's not greasy and drippy and gross. I think Subway is just solid. Like, you know what you're going to get. I think Josh's opinion on it is a little bit skewed. I think the spicy Italian is a staple in America. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm Drew, what Drew said about the tuna and meatball sandwiches is kind of concerning to me, especially with the, especially, <laughs> especially, especially with the tuna. The like tuna said, is, is oh, like oh. I said in the group chat, the tuna sandwich from Subway is the one food that smells worse going in than it does coming out. It's just <laughs> disgusting. Um, meatball, I can get behind, I guess. Yeah, the, the meatball marinara is pretty good. It's not bad, but I just I just don't know what's really going in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but bread solid, like you said, Italian herb is a, is a good choice. But yeah, sandwich-wise, Jimmy John's is just a, a sub below. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, you, you said, well, in some ways a national chain. I mean, McDonald's is a national chain, and a lot of people put McDonald's number one because of how consistent and reliable it is. I think Subway's on the same platform. Actually, I would agree. I'm, sub- I'm, just, yeah. saying, I'm just saying from, like, I'm trying to strictly analyze this based off of um sandwich and i think i think jimmy john's has a slight edge mostly because of the meat level i just don't think subway gives you much meat and and their turkey's not good at all okay point taken but i, I do want to highlight subway's greatness once more is they have more locations than mcdonald's nationwide isn't that crazy and do you know how many they have nationwide I have no idea, but I, I know it's like one per every like two miles. If you add up the whole United States, it's some crazy stat like that. Okay. I'm going to give you a trivia question. Uh, just guess how many locations does Subway have in the United States? Um, 20,000. You're really close. It's 24,568. Wow. McDonald's is 13,793. This is of 2019. So it's probably changed. That's absurd. Yeah, probably a little bit more on both. But wow. I mean, I guess Subway's in almost, it seems like damn near every gas station area, it's, too. It's easier to put Subway's in than McDonald's, obviously. But McDonald's has the drive through. You know, Subway does not have that. So I can appreciate people getting out of their car to go in and order a sandwich instead of getting stuck in the drive-thru. I'm very anti-Uber Eats and DoorDash and Grubhub and Joyrun because I think then that's why I give two craps about Jimmy John's too because I'm still going to go in and order my sandwich. Yeah, but wouldn't it be nice Subway-wise if they, like so Jimmy John's has it where you order it on your phone and then they put it, like they set it on their little table and you just go in and pick it up. Can you imagine if Subway started doing that, how amazing it would be? But there, there is a customer service level that Subway gives you. They take care of your sandwich. You know, you know how it's being made in front of you. Jimmy John's, you don't know how it's being made. It's, it's, that it's, is true. It's a little secretive back there. They keep yeah. the way in, they keep <laughs> they got, the, the ledge up real high. Yeah. You can't see in there. They stack it with bread so you can't see anything. Totally. But that, that being said, I don't, I mean, if we're going to Subway and Jimmy John's, like, I don't really give a crap what's in it. Um, like I, I think, uh, I don't really care about what if John from Subway making 14 bucks an hour, I don't give a crap about his customer service, you know, like 
I just want a decent sandwich. Um, if Subway starts doing the Jimmy John app where I order it from my phone and I go in and pick it up, I'm, I, I'm usually a, a make my lunch kind of guy, but I might be doing that once a week if, if that's the case. Poor John. Yo, oh, John. <laughs> I, I, I want to say, okay, sorry. One more thing about that. This is a positive for Jersey Mike's is yeah. they put the bread or your sandwich in that like it's a paper they, bag. Yeah. Yeah. They twist the top. I love, I love that. It, for whatever reason, and, and this is why I stand by Safeway baguettes. It's that, that paper bag with bread, like baguette feeling. It just makes it taste so much better. I don't know if the, I don't know how it's <laughs> the smell combination, but you put it, you put bread in a paper bag and all of a sudden the sandwich is better. <laughs> it, yeah. It's like eating a uh, Chipotle with their fork versus your, your metal <laughs> fork from home. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you got it. There's just some things you got to do. Well, all right. Maybe we can do another underrated podcast for actual fast food chains. Like we can talk more about the Burger King uh, debacle that we had in our group text. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> next time we're on, you're going to have to defend, uh, defend Burger King. I, I will happily do that. Um, but well, the, we actually need to talk about uh, sports related things. <laughs> hey, fo- hey, food and food and sports uh, go together, right? Oh, um, oh Yeah. This is the fun part of the podcast. Matt and I wanted to discuss our favorite underrated players of the last 20 years or so. So they could be current. They could be former. So we picked three players each from baseball, football, and basketball. And we get a chance to kind of gush over a few of those guys for a little bit. We're very nostalgic people. So, uh, yeah, excited to kind of hear what you had to say, Matt. Um, I, I I have some fun ones for you, for sure. Yeah, we love our uh, 2000 sports, that's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, where do you want to start us off? I will start. You want to start with baseball? Let's do it. I, I picked players that were like one or maybe two-time All-Stars. Um, guys that were who I thought, I think for the most part, my, my underrated rankings are towards players who would thrive more in today's game with pretty much every sport. I think I've, I've leaned that direction. Um, but the first, first baseball guy I will mention is Adam Dunn, uh, a 162 career average of a slash line of 237, 364 OBP, 490 slugging, 854 OPS, 37 bombs and 95 RBIs for his career. That's his, that's his, uh, that's his 162 game average. I mean, if you're looking for a consistent power hitter, um, obviously he's basically Joey Gallo. If Joey Gallo was good. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I'm going to push back a little bit on him. Um, yeah. Push back. I would like to hear it. There's no doubting his power and one of maybe the greater DH players uh, once he made it to the American league. Um, he got on base, you know, people were afraid of him. He led the league in walks a couple times, you know, 364 BP is, is awesome. You know, a couple all-star appearances, you know, so he's got some pedigree, but he's only got a 17.9 career war over 14 years. So if you do the math on that, you know, he's kind of just a hair above an average player. And that's, that's because he had to play defense for 
what eight or nine years in and, Cincinnati. And he's just he was not a good defender, and that's where well, I say exactly. So if but he's Gallo, around Gallo, nowadays, Gallo could play defense. Yeah, but he, if he's around nowadays, he just DHs his his WAR probably doubles, if not more. I'm guessing he was like a negative two WAR defender for eight or ten years. You know, um, I just think in today's game and where the game is heading, Adam Dunn is a perfect offensive player. Well. I'll give you this for a guy that hit 237 for his career, which is pretty awful. He probably has the most home runs for that disparity. <laughs> so yeah, he made he made a career out of himself. All right, all right. So I guess we can we can go back and forth. Um, I'll give you my first guy. That is as Drupal Cabrera. Mm, that's a good one. Uh, Cabrera quietly has been around from 07 to 2021. And last playing with the Reds. Anyhow, I just remember him, his early days in Cleveland when he was a two-time All-Star, 2011-2012. In those years, he was really good. You know, 25 homers, 92 RBIs, 273, 16 homers, 68 RBIs, 270. Um, And quietly has been around. He kind of had a little resurgence with the Mets, um, with the power, 23 homers in 16, three homers in 2018. And he just... In 2019, he had a pretty solid season, uh, 260, 18 homers, 91 ribbies. I mean, that was a that was awesome. And so just a, a guy who's been very consistent, very good defensively that can't be undermined. I mean, he's got a 29.6 career war. And I don't know. I just – he was one of the first guys I thought of as a guy who was always around and was always pretty consistent. You know, he never missed a whole lot of time due to health yep. or anything like that. Um, he got his World Series ring with the the Nationals at the end of 2019. I mean, he hit 323 at uh, for the Nationals in, in 2019 in his 38 games, so he definitely earned it. Um, so, just a solid shortstop of our generation that I don't think get the credit that he deserves. Yeah, I actually think that's a really solid one. I remember he had one year where he was literally on Sports Center every day at shortstop. <laughs> Yeah, he was he was a fun player to watch. Um, I have another another middle infielder, uh, actually a shortstop as well, Edgar Renteria. Okay, <laughs> I uh, if you look at Edgar's career, um, he's he's actually a five time All Star, which surprised me, but it goes to show like how little he's talked about when in, in terms of production and consistency. Um, Two eighty six, three forty three. Uh, 12 homers and 22 stolen bases for would be his career av- stat line average for his uh, for his career. Um, two World Series rings, a couple of the the more clutch hits uh, in World Series history. Um, I think Edgar, in terms of overall prowess, like he gets overshadowed because of the 2000 shortstops, but he was he's really a one of the, the premier shortstops of the 2000s. I, I love Edgar Interia. I think he is a phenomenal player as well. A um, little bit higher war than Asdrubal, um, just as impactful, if not more, with his postseason experience. And you can't not you can't knock on, I mean, the five-time All-Stars and the, the, the two gold gloves as well, the two World Series. Uh, you're right. He does get overshadowed by the Nomars and the Jeters and um, Tulowitzki, you know, other guys that were around during that time. 
Yeah, he's a pro's pro, right? You think of a, a veteran shortstop to lead your team. Can't think of one better uh, in terms of underrated than Edgar Renteria. Sounds good. All right, I'm going to go to the pitching side of things here. I almost took this guy out, but I was like, no, like he doesn't. I need to give this guy some credit because he helped out a lot of us. And that is Jason Vargas. Wow. <laughs> Here's another pitcher uh, who had been around for quite a long time and he kind of just disappeared. Right. I, I, you know, he, his last season was 2019. I was like, damn, he's been out of the league for three years already. I was like, I feel like he was just on the probable starter market yesterday. Um, <laughs> but, but that's, that's why I say is he was a consistent guy. He was healthy the majority of his career. He started a lot of games, um, 277 career starts over 14 years, finished with a career record of 99 and 99, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, wow. He wasn't like particularly great at anything, but you know, a 429 ERA is serviceable. And um, yeah, I, he got the all-star in 2017. Um, so I just, just thought he was a consistent, reliable guy. He never really was dominant or, or bad. Uh, he stayed on the field and, and you know, a 16.9 career wars is, is not too bad either. So um, I don't know if he's underrated or rated appropriately, but I just kind of thought of as a, he's a guy I would definitely pay a few million dollars for in today's game to just give you some innings. Yeah. I think uh, whether he's underrated or underappreciated, there's a, he's a guy that's, that was out there eating innings for a long time, you know? Yeah. I know not really a sexy pick, but um, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Last guy for you. Last guy for me. I felt like, even though I really don't like ranking pitchers a whole lot, I felt obligated to put one in there. Yeah. Um, Jeff Samarja. Oh, okay. He uh, he was an all-star with your A's, a couple decent years with the White Sox. Um, But you're talking about a consistent starter, uh, mid-upper 90s arm who consistently – Again, eight innings um, and maybe an undervalued role until he got his big contract. Um, I really think Samarja is one of those guys that um, that is underappreciated just because of how solid he was for that. I think it was like a six or seven year stretch. Well, he, he didn't get the recognition as much with the Cubs. You know, the, the Cubs weren't very good when he was there. And um, he was also kind of working in a relief role when he started. Um, yeah. And then I, I think you're right. Uh, 1600 innings and 1449 strikeouts. I mean, he, he was a machine. They call him the shark for a reason. Right. Yeah. Um, but in defense, uh, Jason Vargas has a higher war than Jeff Samarja. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he was around for a long time. Jason, uh, the other one I was debating in pitchers was Joe Blanton. Ah, that's a good one. <laughs> Yeah, I was debating him, but I didn't like. He obviously doesn't strike as strike as many guys out. And um, if I was picking a pitcher that had to give up a home run, Joe Blanton might be on that list. <laughs> I would still take <laughs> J- I still take Jamie Moyer, but that's not a bad choice. Uh, yeah. So Samarja also is a pretty good football player at uh, Notre Dame, right? And he oh, yeah. he he got hurt in that brawl, right? It wasn't a, a recent 
brawl with the Giants that he like broke his shoulder or something or yeah I think it was the Harper Strickland brawl if I remember right Michael Morris and him got hurt I think it was that same brawl yeah Um, Giants fans uh, for sure remember that one yeah all right I'm gonna go with my third guy who is better than everybody we just mentioned uh, purely just on war Um, (laughs) and that is Mark Ellis wow Josh's I had favorite, a feeling you were going to pick him. Josh's favorite player. Well, he, here's let me tell you what I was going to do. I was actually going to pick Aaron Hill. Um, Another good one. You know, and I was looking him up, and I was like, yeah, he's pretty good. He would go for this. But then I realized, I was like, wait a minute. Mark Ellis is actually, was actually a lot better than Aaron Hill when I kind of dug into it a little bit deeper. And I think he didn't get as much recognition as Aaron Hill did. Um, so I'm going to gush – about Mark Ellis for a little bit, um, the definition of consistency, which seems to be a staple with all of the guys we've chosen. Um, you know, Ellis had that really good run with the A's from like, he was hitting double digit homers every year for like five. So years, um, Oh, five to 2010. Um, wasn't like an offensive juggernaut by any means, but you know, 1343 hits career. It's nothing to scoff at over hundred career home runs. It was a pretty good base runner and um, he didn't strike out a lot, but it was his defense that really made him. And I think more shockingly, um, and he was a ninth round pick. So it's not like he was touted to be, you know, a, a big, a big anything. Right. Um, when I looked up the career wars for second baseman, Mark Ellis is like 48th all time in career, war, career war for second baseman. Um, and I, I just was like, that's pretty impressive. Like if you're, if you go across baseball's history, you know, 150 plus years, whatever, however far you want to go back to, I guess that he's 48 all time. If, I, if my metrics are correct, that's basically saying like he was a top guy in his generation. I'll give you some names that he was ahead of Orlando Hudson. He was yeah. ahead. He was ahead of Brian Roberts. Um, wow. Luis Castillo, maybe shockingly, he was ahead of Brandon Phillips as well. Um, DJ LeMahieu, wow. uh, and obviously Aaron Hill, and then Craig Council, you know, Adam Kennedy, Ronnie Belliard. You know, he was Daniel Murphy, he was better than a lot of guys. Um, and he was like right behind Ray Durham and right behind Howie Kendrick, which were two other guys that I was really considering putting in for like. Howie Kendrick would have been a great choice for this, but I just, I think Mark Ellis uh, definitely did not get the consideration. Um, Unfortunately was, was never elected to do an all-star game, uh, which is a shame, but a really good player. Yeah. I it's, it goes to show you what consistency and solid production can lead you. Um, All these guys are just really solid, big league guys. Like you had won every one of them in your locker room, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't want to take a whole lot of time from baseball because we're running late, but um, I thought about Bobby Jenks. I did too. I was looking at closers. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. He was elite for, what, five or six seasons, shut the door on that World Series. Um, Bobby Jenks, he's in – I really – I like thick closers. I think there's a little extra uh, bravado <laughs> if, they, if they're if they big boys. Him and Heath Bell are in that category. But um, – <laughs> 
I yeah, Bobby Jenks is a great one. Um, I thought about he's obviously a little bit too good for this conversation, but Andrew Jones needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Mm. I think what eleven Gold Gloves, if I remember right, elite offensive player for his prime years. Get that guy in the Hall of Fame. That's the last thing I'll I'll say on baseball. So Bobby Jenks, uh, because uh, I'm going to go in a few minutes with him. Yeah, I, give me your Bobby Jenks tangent. I didn't pick him because I didn't think he was underrated. I thought he was very dominant for those four or five seasons from 06 to 2010. Um, and then he fell off the map. And I, I dug in. I was like, why? He was doing well. He was good. He was only like 32 years old. You know, what happened? Um and, and it's really, really disturbing. Um, so the Red Sox get him in 2011, and yep. he, he didn't really do very well for them. Um, he actually ended up having a pulmonary embolism, um, for those of you that's a blood clot. What? So he gets surgery to remove the blood clot. All right. So they were kind of rehabbing him back. In the meantime, his back goes out on him. Now, Bobby Jenks was a hefty human being. He was like 6'5", 270, give or take. Um, so he goes into surgery to remove bone spurs from his back. And they were initially going to move two bone spurs. Well, surgeon goes in there, moves, removes the two, and apparently was removing part of a third one. And he didn't finish removing it. A few weeks later... Jenks goes into the ER emergency surgery because he had an infection in his spine from the, the, the bone spur surgery. And what turned out was this surgeon was doing two operations at the same time, going back and forth to, to do surgery. And Jenks ended up suing and he's like, I would not have gone there if I had known he had a second surgery scheduled at the same time. Um, so he settled for like a $6 million malpractice, which is super sad. Now, in the, in the meantime, Jenks gets addicted to painkillers. And it's just a shame. Like, apparently he said he was averaging 60 painkillers a day. What? And that was on the low side some days. I just That's crazy. I couldn't believe it when I read all of that about him um, because I remember how good he was and MLB 06, the show, or, you know, <laughs> like he was always had the all-star thing. 07. Yeah. Like he was so good. And, um, I mean, thank goodness. He's, he's a pitching coach at independent ball now. Um, so like he's alive and well, apparently, but I can only imagine some of the hardship he's gone through. Um, so Bobby Jenks, uh, he is—he was the first rookie to close the door on a World Series to collect the save in a World Series clinching game. Yeah, he was—he was that guy for a while. He uh, was probably, arguably, one of the best closers in the game for a couple of years, and never gets mm -hmm. talked about now. You know who was the second rookie closer to get a save uh, to close the World Series? Uh, is, he, is he a Dodger? I'll give you a hint. It was just a year later in 2006. Oh, six. Isn't that St. Louis? Oh, Adam Wainwright. It was Adam Wainwright. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Isringhausen, but he played for the A's before that. That's cool. 
Yeah. Back-to-back years after it not happening for 100 years or whatever. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, for sure. You want to go football next? Yeah, let's uh, let's get into football now. Uh, You can start this one off. All right. Um, I think you and I have both agreed that football is a lot harder to do. Yeah. Because we we obviously know about the guys who are highly rated. Uh, we, you know, the, the exposure is so much higher. Um, and there's also, less metrics to go off of too. That's a good point. So I'll go with my first guy here is the first guy I thought of. And that was Charlie Garner. Wow. Running back slash receiver. Um, I think he was kind of ahead of his time. I, I really do. I mean, so Charlie played from 94 to 04, you know, pretty good career for a running back. Uh, and he was really good with the Eagles from 94 to 98. I mean, he was averaging, uh, he led the league in yards per carry in, in 95, but he was a really solid player and they just didn't really use him a lot. Um, and then he goes to the Niners in 99, 99 um, and takes off, um, you know, 1,200 yards on the ground. Uh, 535 receiving. This is the Steve Mariucci area, so he's still kind of going off of a little West Coast offense action. And uh, he was super solid. He did the same thing in 2000, his only Pro Bowl. I mean, 1,100 yards uh, rushing and uh, 647 receiving. You know, so And then, of course, he went to the Raiders from 01 to 03, which also very memorable. He put three really solid seasons together, um, 2002, which I, I don't know how he didn't make the Pro Bowl, but the guy had 962 yards rushing, averaging 5.3 yards per carry, and then 91 receptions for 941 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, that's, that, that's a top 10 receiving season and a top 10 running back season borderline combined. Um, and Definitely so, ahead of his time. Yeah, I mean – 11 touchdowns that year. And um, that was at 30 years old. You know, that's not Debo Samuel wow. doing, doing it at 26. Can't give Charlie Garner enough credit. Um, he was a really good player that I don't think uh, people really consider as a top running back of that era. And that's partially because he was a very good receiver too. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, if he's in like the, the healthy McCaffrey role, you never like, or Marshall, even Marshall Falk was in that era, but it's funny. Yeah. Charlie just didn't, didn't get that kind of, see, I didn't even know that's 1800 total yards. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Give me your first guy. All right. My first guy uh, was really the only quarterback I could find uh, who would fall into the underrated category. And he might not even be underrated. I just think he was so revolutionary in the quarterback position. Uh, but Randall Cunningham, um okay randall cunningham obviously a four-time pro bowler well known i just think he's slightly underrated realistically could have three mvps uh in a totally different era uh when he was 25 in 88 for philly 3800 yards throwing 24 touchdowns and then he tacked on Let's see here. He tacked on 600 yards on the ground with six touchdowns. So, um, and that's in like a standard under center back pedal drop back offense. Um, then in 1990, he added 942 yards rushing on top of, let's see, 3,500 yards throwing and 30 tugs. Like 
this guy, and then he goes to Minnesota with Randy Moss and Chris Carter, throws 34 touchdowns, eight picks at age yeah. 35. Like, if you put this guy in this year, uh, this era of offenses where they actually cater towards him, I can't even imagine the type of numbers that man would put up. Like, for him, what he did for the quarterback position, he paved the way for a guy like Michael Vick, Steve McNair, those type of guys. Um really the black quarterback in general, like him um, being able to kind of break, not just him, but obviously Doug Williams and break the mold that your best athlete can't play quarterback. I think that's a really unsung part of Randall Cunningham's career that doesn't get talked about enough. I a hundred percent agree with you. Cordell Stewart, another guy that came around that time. Yeah. Um, he was amazing. He was Cam Newton before Cam Newton. He was a more athletic Cam Newton. I mean, he yeah. six four two twelve, like that guy coming at you. I mean, and he was like you said, forty nine hundred yards, thirty five rushing touchdowns in an era that that was not a thing. Um, yeah, I I loved Randall Cunningham because nineteen ninety nine, he's he's on the uh, the Vikings, and uh, that was when the first backyard football game came out. And Cunningham, he was so good in that game. He was amazing. He was a running. He was so fast. I loved having him and Steve Young as as my two quarterbacks. I never used Brett Favre, JT. Um, yeah. I, I loved those guys, and I put Barry Sanders in the backfield. But um, he retired in 1996 to only come back in '97 and still have a few good seasons left in him. So, um, isn't that crazy? Yeah, like to come <laughs> back at that age. I mean, obviously the team was extremely good, but. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool what he was able to do. Yeah, good choice, Randall Cunningham. I'm going to move into my second player, and this was the linebacker that I was kind of messing with you with. Um, a good teammate of Justin Smith uh, when they were together in Cincinnati in the early days of the <laughs> two, 2000s and also with the Niners in the uh, 08 to 010 era. Uh, that is Takeo Spikes. I knew it. <laughs> once, once my first guess was wrong, maybe the best neck of all time. Tell me more about Takeo. He's very well known for his 21-inch neck. Um, why is he underrated? Only two Pro Bowls, one-time All-Pro, uh, but he had a very long, successful career um, from 98 to 2012. Um, the coolest thing about that was he's one of only seven linebackers in NFL history to have 200 career starts. Um, and he only had less than 70 tackles in a season. Once he was a team captain, 13 out of his 15 years, the craziest thing about him. And, and the reason this is half of the reason I picked him is just because there's so many interesting things about him. The neck being one of them, the name <laughs> um, he's, he has the distinction of playing 219 games without a playoff appearance, which is the most in NFL history. Um, wow. The Eagles, the Niners, and the Chargers all made the playoffs the year after Spikes left the team. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so eh, he was a first-round pick. You know, he was supposed to be pretty good. But um, I think he doesn't get enough credit as being, uh, you know, overshadowed by Ray Lewis or Sean Merriman or, um, shoot, even Patrick Willis towards the end of his career. Um, he was uh, yeah. a really good player. And – I never knew this. I mean, it would make sense, but he's actually the older brother of uh, Brandon Spikes. Um, <laughs> which oh. is, you know, he played a decent amount uh, for the pet, the Pats. Um, yeah. 
His name, Takeo, was named after Japan's 66th prime minister. Um, his, par <laughs> his parents really liked the name, um, so that's why they picked it. And then the successor to that Japanese prime minister uh, was also named Takeo. Um, that's so <laughs> funny. And then they go to Brandon with their second son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, Takeo spikes for you, folks. That's cool. I think that's a great pick. One of my favorite uh, early 2010s, late 2000s Niners. He was a, a legend just honestly for his neck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got a linebacker for you. I'm going to do a blind comparison with Ray Lewis, and then I'll reveal this player's name. Cool. Um, Ray Lewis played 17 seasons. This linebacker played 16. Uh, missed zero games, 221, I believe, straight games played. Zero games missed for his career. Um, 2,059 tackles for Ray, 2,039 for this player, 31 interceptions for Ray, 23 for this player, um, 41 sacks for Ray, 39 for this player, only four Pro Bowls for player X compared to uh, Ray Lewis's 13, and he is not in the Hall of Fame yet. Um, London Fletcher uh, is the player I'm talking about. To play 221 straight games, if nothing else, at the middle linebacker position is incredible. Um, you look at his football reference page, 16 yeah. games played, 16 the whole <laughs> way down. You got 16 <laughs> games played, over like 100 to 160 tackles per season. Um, just one of really should be a first ballot Hall of Famer, missing kind of the bravado and legendary hit stick status of a lot of the, the big linebackers of the 2000s, the Erlackers, the Ray Lewis, the Patrick Willis's. He's, he's missing some of that, but in terms of production on the field, I don't think you would pick too many linebackers in front of this guy. If you're talking about just production. Uh, uh, on the field. Yeah. Especially only at five ten. I mean, he kind of reminds me of like a Fred Warner. Uh, you know, yeah. You're right. I loved London Fletcher when he played. And, and he made the Pro Bowl four straight years from 34 to 37. That's very hard to do at that age. I yeah, mean, it's also crazy. He started getting publicity when he was on uh, the football team and, or uh, the, the commies now, the commanders. That's right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think London really missed out on uh, the media coverage based off of where he was playing as early in his career. and. Um, but man, for an undersized linebacker to play that many straight games, um, be as productive as he was is, is crazy. Yeah. I love London Fletcher. Um, you weren't in the football league at this time, but in 2009, the inaugural season of the Joe Randoms football league, we had defense and we picked individual defensive players. And uh, I loved that we did it because it allowed me to really understand and learn defensive guys. And some of those guys in that 2009 range that were huge, huge point guys for in fantasy, one of them was London Fletcher. Uh, and the other guy that I was thinking of for my pick, I didn't pick him, um, but it was uh, Thomas Davis, the Panthers. Yeah. Um, similar type situation to Takeo in, in London, but it was, yeah. He was an awesome player, um, so good choice with him. Uh, my last guy, 
this is another another guy who needs to be in the Hall of Fame, but is in there, not in there for unfair reasons. And that okay. is current. He's he's actually a kind of a Bay Area legend. I mean, he kind of grew up in the Central Valley, lived, was born in Hanford, and then he went to college at Fresno State. He now resides in the Bay Area. And all of you know him as uh, 95-7 the game, Lorenzo Neal. Yes. Wow. What a great player that I've, haven't heard the name of in years low neil dude like people need to watch his highlight tape because you see him just decking guys hat like i i pulled it up just because i i was i think lorenzo neil's a good choice because he was really one of the last true fullbacks um that we've ever seen and there's only there's really no fullbacks in the hall of fame i looked this up like they're like true fullbacks. Like a, a lot of them were primarily ball carriers. Um, so Lorenzo Neal should be in that conversation. He only made four Pro Bowlers. Uh, he did. <laughs> he made three of them from thirty-five to thirty-seven with the Chargers. We most know him for his time on the Chargers, obviously blocking for LT. But let's not forget uh, Lorenzo Neal has a distinction of blocking for 10 straight consecutive 1,000-yard rushers. Um, LT, LT was one of them. Before that, it was Corey Dillon. Before that, it was Eddie George. So it's just, it just goes to show that Lorenzo Neal was an animal. And uh, he was with the Bucks with Mike Allstott in 98 also. I was going to say that, yeah. that team was unbelievable. Curtis Martin in 97. I mean, th- there's no secret that these guys were really good um, also because of Lorenzo Neal. It, it's just he didn't get enough ball carries in his career, um, only 226 rushes, uh, but he did have 199 receptions. So he's kind of a modern-day Kyle Juszczyk. Um, But uh, he was a, a superior blocker. Um, he made all-pro first team twice, second team once. Uh, Lorenzo Neal, folks. Yeah, if you're into people getting mauled, looking up uh, Lorenzo Neal's fullback highlight tape is one of the most impressive ones and to he watch just, he just loved the game he just loves football uh, and i just, just love beating the crap out of people i i just love that <laughs> yeah football guy for sure i think to be a fullback you have to be um great pick wow 99 overall for a while in madden yeah yeah um last guy yeah my last guy is kind of a we talked about this earlier this week but it's kind of a he might not be super underrated, but he might be nationally. I'm not sure. But Justin Smith, honestly, probably the most for a four year stretch or so, probably the most like most dominant interior lineman that didn't necessarily pile up sacks uh, against the run game. Probably just from an outsider's fan perspective, probably the most like, oh, shoot, there's Justin Smith. You like want to want to watch him every play. Um uh, five straight Pro Bowls to, to pretty much end his career but in, in his mid to late 30s is pretty impressive as a not very fast uh, when he came on he was when he was drafted he was fairly undersized but um, another guy who I think he only missed three career games um, a guy who really wasn't supposed to to be anything and turned out to be an all-pro f- three times five pro bowlers and really could have won a defensive player of the year in 2011. Uh, if, if Alden Smith hadn't, hadn't overshadowed him, but 
man, what what a great player. I just wanted to give him a shout out mostly because it was really hard for me to find a, a third underrated player. <laughs> Gosh, I, you I you don't need to tell me twice. I I love Justin Smith. Um he's amazing. Uh Drew and I went to that Niners Saints uh, playoff game in 2011 that season and um <laughs> and we're in the bathroom after we won the game and there's this random fan drunk off you know what and he's <laughs> he's like what do you get when you combine a lion a silverback gorilla and a human Justin Smith <laughs> <laughs> yeah that man's an animal Niners legend probably in my top three or four favorite Niners of all time. Again, a model of consistency, which is kind of this whole theme that I'm seeing with all our picks so far. I'm a guy that just never really missed any games ever. (laughs) So yeah, uh, great pick. Unfortunately, probably going to miss the hall of fame, but uh, warrants a lot of consideration. Definitely. Okay. To finish off our underrated team, Moving on to NBA. My first guy um, is a, a Russian legend, Andre Kirilenko, as well as a Baron <laughs> Davis legend. <laughs> uh, most known for that, for that dunk, I would say, in the Bay Area. But what an elite, elite, elite defender uh, combined with decent passing ability, decent scoring ability, um, solid rebounding, good percentages you're looking at 12 5 3 a steal and a half and two blocks per game for his career on 75 percent from the line and 50 percent from the field on a lot of really good jazz teams i think he was kind of the glue guy on those teams um if he's around he even shot the three a little bit i think if he's around in today's game i don't think there is a single team that he wouldn't be high priority on the list he can pretty much guard at least one through four um super long athletic um i would i would argue in the category of uh hopefully a guy who's mentioned later sean marion but um i i think uh just just an overall underrated nba player he was a guy that i probably thought was just a hair too good but maybe that's just because warriors bias we knew how good he was uh playing against (laughs) us all the time um, yeah. But it, it's definitely a good choice. Maybe across the NBA didn't get the recognition that he deserved as well. So yeah, um, the first guy I'm going to go with is a guy that uh, the Warriors fans got very acquainted with in their first playoff run. And that was Tony Allen. Uh, mm. Defensive monster for his entire career from 0405 with Boston all the way up until 2017, 2018 with the Pelicans. Um, just a super reliable guy for many years playing defense. Um, and he never really made a lot of money. You know, I, I, a guy of his caliber in today's NBA, I think would make a lot more. Um, he made 40 million over his entire career, which, I mean, that's still a a lot of money, but like, let's, let's, let's be fair here. I mean, that's 14 seasons, you know, he's, he's probably averaging like three, 4 million a year in most years. And that's, I mean, guys would kill to have that guy on your team now. Um, he was not much of a scorer, but he did a little bit of everything. He, you know, he could get you the occasional layup if you needed to. I mean, he had a 47.5 field goal percentage, still could rebound a little bit, uh, pass the ball when he needed to, 1.4 steals, 
a game is what he's noted for. Didn't really turn the ball over a whole lot, but I just remember him being able to guard everybody. Um, he was the Draymond at the two position, basically. Um, he played shooting guard, small forward, six four, super long wingspan, um, and he was a big part of the Celtics championship runs um, in 2008. And he's obviously a six time all defensive team. So Tony Allen, folks. Yeah, that's solid. I think Kobe calls him the best defender or rest in peace, called him the best defender he'd ever played against. So when you get that kind of recognition, obviously to be around for that long with um, how poor offensively he was, he's an asset to pretty much every team he was on. Yeah. Yeah. No arguments there. Cool. Second guy for you. Second guy for me, um, a, a Warriors legend in the We Believe era, Al Harrington. Oh, okay. Good choice. Uh, yeah, 13, 5, and 2 for his career. Um, blocked about a shot a game, made about a 3.5 per game, 47% from the field for his career. Um, really a guy who played in the wrong era. I think in today's game, Al Harrington is probably a 18 and eight stretch four. Who's very productive for, and plays winning basketball. I just, um, I think he's, he's a guy that gets, gets lost in that, in that era. And even on the, we believe team, he's not really talked about, but a big, a big part of it. I don't disagree at all. Uh, I loved Al Harrington, of course. And I think that's a really good comp um, for today's game and, yeah, just uh, just a fun guy to have around on your squad. So good good choice with Al. I, I, I did go with a little bit of Warriors bias here for my next pick, and uh, that's Corey McGetty. <laughs> he, he came a little bit after the We Believe, kind of at the tail end of it, a guy who was pretty consistent for a long time, just a solid scorer. I mean, he averaged 16 points a game for his career. He was about five rebounds a game, a couple of assists. Um, you know, he wasn't a, a three-point shooter. He, he wasn't particularly a great defender. Uh, he was really good at the free throw line, um, 5.6 out of 6.8, um, which would be great in fantasy today <laughs> if you were drafting for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just like, you know, you look at his Clippers years from, you know, 03 to, to 05 or even 08, you know, he's averaging 20 a game and five rebounds, six rebounds some years. So, uh, I liked him as on the Warriors. Um, he wasn't a full-time starter with the Warriors, started a decent amount of games, but I was just like, damn, you know, he's averaging 20 and five in 2009, 2010 at 30 years old and um, didn't really get that respect. I mean, you would think after that you'd get a pretty decent contract, but I mean, he bounced around. He went to the Milwaukee, he went to Charlotte, he went to Detroit for his last three years. So um, kind of fell off the map, but he was a decent player for sure. Yeah, Corey Maggetti, I remember when they signed him, I thought he was he was going to be like the savior of the franchise. <laughs> yeah, he was part of a, a fun trade uh, when he went to the Bucks or from the Bucks to the Bobcats. Um, Tobias Harris was in that trade. Steven Jackson was in that trade. Sean Livingston was in that trade. Jimmer Fredette, John Salmons was in that trade. Uh, Bismack Biombo was in that trade. And Bina Udre was in that trade as well. So just just some fun names to, to throw at you there. <laughs> a lot of classic NBA or 2000s NBA <laughs> players in that trade. That's, 
a lot of relevant players too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's close this off. Who's your last guy? Last one for me is he might not be super underrated, but I think he, he's the definition of winning basketball. Um, but Shane Battier. Uh, I almost picked him. Yeah. Just a, if you're looking for a role player, like Shane Battier can fill so many different roles. He can be a stretch four. He can be a normal three. Um, plays elite defense, good percentages, good teammate. Um, obviously, a classic 3 and D guy. But um, Shane Battier, if you want to win a, an NBA championship and you want a culture guy, like he's, he's going to be up there. Yeah, kind of like uh, that David West-ish role for the Warriors. Um, but, but Shane was awesome, played with a lot of stars in his career. And there is not a one bad thing you could find about Shane Battier. Everybody says he is an elite teammate. Yeah. Shane Battier is, is up there in terms of guys who played, who has, who's had a big impact, bigger impact on the game than what he just, what he did numbers wise. Great choice. I'm glad I picked Tony Allen over him. I, I was thinking either or. <laughs> I was actually debating Tony Allen too. Um, so I'm glad we, we covered both of those guys. Nice. All right. I, here's a fun one. I was happy when I thought of this guy because I was kind of going and like, wait, what happened to this guy? You know, it's one of those things again. Um, that is Gerald Wallace. Wow. <laughs> and uh, Andrew loved this guy in fantasy. Uh, he loved him in 2K, too. But Gerald Wallace, folks, um, he was around for a long time. He was a one-and-done guy in college out of Alabama. Went to the Kings. Didn't really do much his first three seasons in the NBA as he was growing up. And then he went to Charlotte um, from 0405 so in Charlotte to 09 and 10 to Charlotte when he finally made his first All-Star and only All-Star appearance, which is kind of a crime but we know how it works in NBA all-star games you know he could play the three he could play the four he was and he was also a, a late first round pick so not projected to do a lot uh, but shoot he led the league in steals in 05 06 um, he was an elite scorer in 2010 he 18 points a game 10 rebounds two assists a steal and a half a, one block a game um, he was a you know, decent percentage, 48% from the field, um, you know, give you the occasional three, not really a three-point guy, but, uh, man, he was he was solid. I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm looking at these this guy's numbers. Like, you look at his Charlotte years, and he was awesome for those five-year stretch. And then he went to the Blazers, and he was really good with the Blazers too. I mean, and I remember, you know, he was super fantasy relevant, very – sought after because he could get you those double doubles he played defense i mean he averaged two steals a game and with portland after that you know he went to the nets uh for a for a season and a half or so he was pretty good 2011 2012 15 and five or 15 and seven three assists a steal it gets super consistent and then you know at 31 years old he went to the celtics and he was kind of irrelevant which is crazy but i thought he was a very good player, very, very good defensive player. Um, some people say that he was a better defender than uh, Rashid Wallace. Uh, <laughs> and, and some, so there, I looked on like, there's like all these player comps and stuff. And like right now he's above Draymond Green 
in terms of win shares. Um, now Draymond Green will surpass him in the next couple seasons, but um, Gerald Wallace is above Gordon Hayward. He's above Nene. Um, he's above Wally, Serzer, Biak, if, if you want to really stretch it out. Um, but he, he was awesome, man. Some of the fun trades he was a part of when he went from the – when he went to the from the Bodcats to the Trailblazers, um, there was a first round pick in that deal, and and that was uh, Tobias Harris. Uh, and uh, and I didn't even realize Tobias was around since 2011, so he's he's getting up there. And then there was a 2014 first round pick. Shabazz Napier was selected for that one. Um, in 2015, when the Blazers traded him to the Nets, Mehmet Okur was in that deal. Sean Williams was in that deal, and Damian Lillard was the first-round pick that was later selected. Uh, now, here's where it gets more fun. In 2013, the Nets traded him along with a bunch of guys. Uh, you guys may remember Marshawn Brooks and Chris Humphreys. Uh, yeah. A 2013 first-round pick, a 2016 first-round pick, that was Jalen Brown. Uh, a 2017 first-round pick, that was Markel Fultz. A 2018 first-round pick, that was Colin Sexton. To the Boston Celtics for Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Jason Terry, DJ White, and a 2017 first-round pick, Kyle Kuzma was later selected. I mean, there's so many names, and I had no idea about this, but the Warriors actually had Gerald Wallace. What? In 2015, the Celtics traded him – with Chris Babb, some no name, to the Warriors for David Lee. <laughs> wow. And then the Warriors traded him to the Sixers for Jason Thompson. So he was the, the guy that kept on giving. <laughs> yeah, that man is a NBA trade machine. Uh, hey, you know, who I, you know who I think of when I think of Gerald Wallace? I think of the the other one time East all-star that I think of is Danny Granger. Ah, he would have been been another good name for this, but um, it's cool to think back on the guys that like if Jared Wallace is in a big, big market and plays on a contending team, he's probably a borderline hall of famer type guy, you know, you had mentioned Michael red kind of, you know, a small, small market guy. Um, No, I, I, that's a great, great comparison. Um, uh, who wait, who's the guy you just said? The one Danny time? Granger. Dan, the Danny Bruce. Granger and Brandon Roy may be the the two like uns like what could have been guys, you know? Yeah. The knees. Wow. The knees. Shoot. Well that was that was a lot. That was that was fun. Yeah. Um Tony Allen, Court McGetty, Jared Wallace for myself, Andre Karolinko, Al Harrington, Shane Battier for Matt. And those are all underrated. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, it's funny looking back at some of these players' names that you haven't heard of in so long. Yeah, it's it's always fun. Uh, we should use these use these types of guys for our name that player game. <laughs> 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 but uh, well, thank you all for braving the the listen, um, Matt. You got anything else? Yeah, that was a uh, that was a good time. I I didn't realize how passionate we were going to get about sandwiches. We'll have a lot more football stuff coming your way um, as we get closer to the season. I hope you have time with your new job to squeeze in a podcast here and there. Yeah, I'll actually be working from home three or four days a week, so should have some time. 
that's awesome. Uh, I know I'll have plenty of time uh, once NFL season starts, so ready to dive into that. Yeah, I'm excited for NFL to get back. And um, in the meantime, I thought this was this was an entertaining one. Yeah, no doubt.